So things are going to be a little bit different this morning um, as we normally walk through a specific text as we're uh, going through uh, whatever book of the Bible we're preaching through. We try to expose everything that's in that text the best that we can. Today will be a little bit different. I'll springboard from a lot of different texts because, as you know, we're about to go through the process of installing deacons at Haven Ridge. We told you last week, for those of you that were not here, let me just kind of recap that. We haven't mentioned who we're thinking of yet, uh, and that is by design, you know, because uh, as Austin and I have had conversation, if we say, here are the people that we're thinking of, the odds are that whenever you're hearing this, one pro is that you will be thinking of that individual person and how these things might relate to them, especially next week when we get to the qualifications, which stay tuned for that. It was just too much to kind of try to fit into this sermon as well or this, or this talk. But the, uh, I think the negative side is, and Austin pointed this out and helped me to see this, is that if we have someone in mind, we probably don't have ourselves in mind. So we're not thinking of the character assessment that, you know, Paul goes through or that Luke goes through when he writes about those who serve, you know. So we really wanted to kind of keep this to where everybody could just kind of introspectively look at themselves and consider what the text is saying and um, kind of make the application as, as it's needed. So sometimes figuring out deacons can be a little bit complicated. Now, it wasn't it wasn't this way for me growing up because I grew up Southern Baptist, still Southern Baptist, grew up that way, and I've seen deacons done a certain way. I've seen it done well, and I've seen it done poorly. Um, I've been a part of a context where deacons were the ruling authority. So the pastor essentially answered to the deacons, and, and that's nowhere represented in the text. Now, elders shouldn't be on a power trip, but there's a reason that in Titus that Paul writes to him in this pastoral and says, the first thing you're to do is to appoint elders in the church, because that's of first importance. You need to have someone, these qualified men, to lead the charge. And in their leading, guess what happens after that? You are appointing deacons, and deacons serve a very specific, a very elevated role. Now, I'll admit, the pendulum shifted for me after I had a bad experience with deacons. My dad was a deacon, and he was obviously a great deacon, right? So my dad was a good deacon, and the church I grew up in, you know, uh, uh, deacons would function in this way. They would uh, assign a deacon to a family. You're probably familiar with that, which I think is absolutely great. They would assign a deacon to a new family that came and joined a church. You know, let's say that someone came and joined my home church, Fairview Baptist Church, and my dad would be assigned to them. And my dad's job would be to call them, check on them, see how they're doing, see if, if he can help get them plugged into some kind of small group or to, for him to let them know, hey, this is kind of what our church has to offer. This is what you can get plugged into. Just kind of help to be a, a somewhat of a concierge, I guess, or, or what's the male version of that, a concierge, concierge, whatever. Be that for them, to help them kind of navigate through the waters of what it is to be a part and plug into a local church. And that's good. That's fine. Some deacons are a part of a financial team that's represented in the Scripture. Some people, some deacons are a part of uh, benevolence and so on and so forth. And all these things are absolutely fine. These are fantastic. These are great. I'm going to make an argument later that that's a byproduct of the actual role of a deacon. That is something deeper. It's something larger. Because what we don't want to do is we don't want to maximize or over-elevate the, op- the office of deacon as in putting it on an equal platform with the elders. And this isn't a powership of the elders. This is just the hierarchical structure that has been represented in the Bible. So I'm just following suit. I'm just following what has been clearly represented in the text. 
And so, but deacons have all these different, different functions. So I'll argue uh, that they are a byproduct of something much loftier. But sometimes it is, if you start to really think about it, and you start to pour over the scriptures, and you see every time the New Testament uses the term deacon, which is somewhere around 62, so somewhere around 90-something times, you know, that it uses the word deacon. And, and, and for your information, very few times of those 90-something times, the verb or the noun servant or to serve, is used, is it being used in the context of one who is holding church office? So when you think of that, it makes it a little more complex to say, okay, here's the office of deacon, here's what the deacons do. Because if you're like me, you'd say, it's easy, let's figure out what deacons do. We want deacons to be in Haven Ridge, we want to have them a designated role. If someone comes to me and says, well, what's the role of deacon? I want to say, well, here's the text, let's look, and, and here it is. See, these deacons did this, these deacons did that. But every place that I can show you where it's spelled out what the deacons did, it's not in a context of office-holding deacon. So it presents a little bit of a problem. The good thing is the Bible presents to us a basic blueprint for setting up deacons. You know, I was at Austin's job not too long ago. He's got this edition. I know we do a lot of construction analogies or illustrations, but that's just the world we live in. So I go over there, and he says, follow, follow these, the, the drawings, follow the house plans, follow the floor plan, you know, and we do that. And if they're to scale, you take your little tape measure, and you pull a quarter inch, and that represents three feet. Wow, yes, one foot. So it represents one foot. That's how great I am of a carpenter. So I'm over at Austin's messing up his job, clearly, you know, and I'm pulling, I'm like, okay, I get this, I get this. I'm thinking it's to scale. I'm pulling a quarter inch, quarter inch. I've got this. We're chalking lines. We're getting ready to build these, to put these studs in, you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying, this isn't mapping out. If I do this the right way, I'm left with like four or five feet that's unanswered in the plans. I don't know what to do. So I call Austin, after I call Chris, after I call Kevin, our senior lead, and Austin finally says, listen, he says, the plans aren't actually to scale. So it became a bit problematic for me. I'm like, well, how do I figure out what this is? You know, because there's no way to really measure this. And Austin had come up with some weird system where he drew some pictures on the wall, some hieroglyphs or something that it was supposed to explain to me how I'm to do this. I knew the basic layout. I knew that, okay, something was going to go here. You know, this is where the bathroom was. This is your vanity, the, t- the, the water closet or the toilet area. This is the closet walk in. This is all of these things. So I had a basic layout, so I could kind of operate from there, and that's what I did, because I didn't understand this hieroglyph, so I started kind of piecing things together, because I had a basic blueprint. And here's why I use that as an example, because although there's some places when you start thinking about deacons and their roles, that can be problematic, just like any other kind of theological uh, issues that you come across in the Bible that seem to be a bit obscure or seem to be a bit complex for us to understand, what we do is we use what is clear to help us interpret what is obscure or what is unclear. So in the office of deacon, we take what we know. What's obvious? Acts chapter 6, Philippians 1.1, maybe Romans 16.1, you know, 1 Timothy 3. We take these things and say, okay, this is, this is a pretty clear text. So let's, let's have that as our foundation because we know it's Bible. We know it's Bible, and then we can kind of piece together everything from that point. And that's what I'm going to do for you today and present some things. So hang on. We're going to move through this very quickly. Here's my objective today. Very simple. We want to understand the function, the meaning, and the foundation, the biblical foundation for the local church office of deacon. Believe it or not, you may have never heard this. I, this is new to me. There are those in the evangelical community that say the office of deacon is not a New Testament concept at all. 
they would say it doesn't exist. And they have their arguments. And if I look at those arguments, I don't really subscribe to those. I don't really see where they're coming from, even though they're trying to explain it. Maybe they're smarter than me, and I just can't understand what they're actually saying. Because I, I'm looking at this, and, and, and I, you know, if it's that optical illusion of the two faces of the vase, I'm seeing the two faces, they're seeing the vase. I can't see the vase, they can. I, they can't see the two faces, but I can. So it might be one of those situations that I'm just not able to see. And that happens all the time. Calvinism, Arminianism, whatever your eschatological bent is, it's like, I can't see the faces, but you can. You can't see the face, or you can't see the vase, but I can. If no one's familiar with that optical illusion, I just bombed that illustration. So lock that in your mind, go back and look at it, and consider what I've said. So that's the objective today, pretty simple. So we'll start with the biblical foundations for the office of deacon. So today is very much teaching. When you're a pastor, you have to teach, you have to preach. Hopefully you do both all the time, but there won't be much exhortation or really application here. It's just understanding the office of deacon, because as a church body, we need to be unified in our understanding. Also, and I have labored over this for months and months, and we've had conversation after conversation, trying to make sure that we're on the same page, and, and, and which we have been for the most part, and we definitely are now, but, but we want to make sure that we are drawing lines of distinction for you that you understand, that you can say, okay, I, I understand what you're articulating. I get it. I get what you're, how you're seeing this and how you're presenting this, and that's what really matters to us. So, Here's your biblical foundations for deacons. So you can turn with me to Acts chapter 6 if you want. This will be one of the texts that we go to. But I'm going to give you a caveat to Acts chapter 6. While you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of a context. So you know that Pentecost and all that great stuff happened at the very beginning of the book of Acts. This is what the apostle Luke is recounting for us. He's, he's eyewitness. He's saying all of these things. You know, look, I'm, I'm writing about these things that I've witnessed, and I'm informing you under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. A lot of great stuff happens in the book of Acts. The birth of the New Testament church, the local church, happened in the book of, of Acts. Now, one might argue that when they were in the upper room, that that was actually the birth of the local church. I would, I would say no, because you've got people coming from all over, all over the region, speaking different languages. You know, Try that sometime here in the States, having a bunch of people that can't speak the same language and just call it a local church. So not exactly the, the description of a local church in the New Testament definitely not at Pentecost. So I don't, I don't hold to that. But that's what happens. The gospel is infiltrating Jerusalem. The gospel is infiltrating the whole place. So people are coming to Christ. I mean, you, you, you see this. Jesus has died. He's, he's ascended. There's witnesses, and now they're telling everybody about it. People are going to start dying, dropping like flies because they're being martyred. You know, all of this stuff is happening. The book of Acts is crazy. The Holy Spirit is massively active in the book of, in the book of Acts, and the Lord is just, if he just pulled back the curtain and you could see the whole thing just for what it is in a big panoramic view, it's like he's introducing you to his bride. He's saying, this is my local church. Here it is. You know, I've had, I've had followers from the very beginning I've had all of them. They followed Yahweh, but now the first time they're being called Christians, Christians, followers of Christ. The seed of promise has come. The anointed one, the, the God-man is here. He's done exactly what hundreds of prophecies have said he would do, and here he is. And so things are moving. Things are blowing and going here in the book of Acts. But the book of Acts may or may not be the best place to say that this is absolutely where we see the installation of the office of deacon, and I'll explain why. So in Acts chapter 6, verse 1, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, 
a complaint by the Hellenists. Those are the Greek-speaking Jews. They arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So obviously there had been this mercy ministry going on. The apostles are preaching and teaching, right? They are just rolling and giving the gospel. But they're also doing these mercy ministries and helping to express the love of Christ by way of helping people in mercy ministries. Or you might even call them social justice, but not in the negative sense of a social justice type ministry. And so they, they had this epiphany and they said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. It's not right that we should do that. It says, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and, and, uh, and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So a lot of people go to this and say, here's one of your foundational texts, which I would say it's foundational, but I would say for, for a slightly different reason. But here's why a lot would say this is foundational, because here you have the appointing of the first deacons. And a lot of people would argue this is why only men can be deacons, because seven men were appointed. Now, I don't think that's a strong argument whatsoever, but that is one of the go-to texts. By the way, we'll talk about women deacons, but that's next week, so stay tuned for all that fun, controversial stuff, right? So... Um, so, so we'll get into that next week. But here he says, appoint for yourself seven men. And he gives some kind of qualifications of good repute, wisdom filled with the Spirit. Don't just go grabbing anybody off the street, you know, because there's a lot at stake here. You're saying, well, they're just, they're just passing out some food. It's just a mercy ministry. Why do you have to be full of the Spirit to take someone a plate of spaghetti? You know, why does that even matter? He says, no, no, you're, 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 you're not looking into the bigger picture. God is doing something. You are representing Christ. So your character matters. Everything matters at this point. But here's what's interesting. The word deacon that is used is used in a couple of different ways. There's a noun form. There's a verb form. The noun form, diakonos, the verb form, diakonio. Okay, so that's the only two times I'll say the Greek there. But there you have them right there, okay? So... The two forms of the word, verb form, noun form. The verb form is what is used here. When it says to go and take and to go and serve, it is the verb form. It doesn't say appoint for yourself those, the noun, the deacons, the noun, the people who hold office. He says just, just go and, and uh, uh, select for yourself seven men, here's the qualifications, and, and, and who, will, who will serve, who will go. Keep in mind that all throughout the New Testament, over and over and over again, the verb form is used. As a matter of fact, most contexts have to do with the verb form. Or there are some times where the noun form is used, and it's not talking about an office. It's just talking about someone who just serves, someone who comes to Haven Ridge and sets up chairs. That's, that's a deacon. That's someone who serves. That's what the word means. My argument would be this, and this is borrowed from, from an argument that I've heard that I, that I agree with. So I would say I'm passing this along from a, an actual scholar and not myself. Where, where Acts 6 might not be the actual installation of the deacons, where it might not actually be that, but rather it might just be, hey, we're swamped. 
Our responsibility is to, is, to, is to administer the Word of God and to spend time in prayer and labor on behalf of Christ's people and labor on behalf of those who need Jesus. You know, and we need to continue to equip ourselves, to ready ourselves, because we have to give a defense for the hope that's in us. I mean, this is first century. This is Christianity has blown the doors wide open. And they are to the hilt busy with what they're doing in bringing the gospel to how, from house to house and house to house. So they're entrenched, they're studying, they're learning. You know, keep in mind the teachings of Jesus were not, not a so distant past. We've had thousands of years, you know, of, of church history to reflect on. You were taught the ways of Christ since you were a babe, so this stuff is not like, you know, something that's super brand new to you, you know, at least the fundamentals. But this stuff, Jesus has just taught them these things. So it's, it is in their brains, and they're thinking, we have got to get this word out. We cannot afford to stay silent about this stuff. I mean, they went to their death for the reason, for the cause. And so they says, you know what, we can't, we can't give our time to this. Not that it's beneath us, not that it's some menial task, but our responsibility, our responsibility is to administer the Word. I think, and I'm agreeing with the scholar, I think that Acts 6 sets the template or sets the tone for when the local churches start popping up, Ephesus, Thessalonica... Philippi, the model there, what, what Paul writes to Timothy and to Titus when he says, appoint elders and then deacons and all of these things, I think that Acts 6 could be the model. We need to have these offices. We need to have, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, first elders, and then we need to have those who will serve as the right-hand men or maybe right-hand women to these elders to carry out the vision of the church, to do the task that needs to be done so that the elders can spend their time tending to the spiritual needs because the elders have the theological oversight and the deacons have the practical ministry of the church. And so I think probably the pastorals and these churches that were planted and you see that pattern, I think they're leaning on a template that was said in Acts chapter 6. That's, that's the, and that could go either way, whether that was the actual first installation of deacons or whether it was just happened to be, which MacArthur argues that these were, this was a need that came up. It was kind of an emergency situation. So I, I just need some people that are good to do this. I need some people that are going to represent Jesus well. I need some people that maybe are a little more seasoned in the faith. I don't know, to go and, and, and do this, that are going to represent Christ and represent the apostles and represent the Word of God well. And so that's Acts chapter 6 as a biblical foundation. So let's move to more of the, the power hitters of the, of, the, of the argument for a biblical foundation. So... 1 Corinthians, well, let me just tell you, Philippians, it's interesting because we went through Philippians, the very introduction of Philippians, Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, Paul actually says, greet the elders and the deacons. And he isolates them. Keep in mind, in Paul's writing to, to Timothy later, and he says, listen, you know, you're to appoint elders and deacons. And he, and he, say, he puts these two very distinct categories, and he says they need to have qualifications which means there are people that won't hold these offices. Does it mean they're not Christians? No. Does it mean they're not a part of the local church? No. It just means there are people that if they don't meet these qualifications, they can't hold this office. The qualification itself draws a line of distinction between those who serve not holding office and those who serve holding office. The qualifications themselves are the evidence of, of, of an office there. So Philippians 1.1, I don't think he's saying greet the elders and greet everyone in the church that happens to serve. What do you, does that make sense? Don't, don't greet the, I don't say this of any man in this room, don't, don't greet this of the freeloaders. 
Don't greet this of those who come and take. Don't greet this of those babies in the faith that just don't get it yet. He says, he says, greet the elders and the deacons. You know, those that were appointed, those that are on the front lines, those that are leading the charge in a manner of speaking. Greet them. Greet them. Men worthy of honor. Men of action. Men that, that, are, that, are, hold, that are carrying the baton. That's Philippians 1.1. 1, 1. First Timothy, First Timothy three, which is the strongest of the texts, and this is anytime you go to an ordination service for deacons, this is usually a text that is preached, or it's definitely a text that is uh, that is that is referenced. So Philippians three, first you have the qualifications of the overseers, and then if you move to verse seven or verse eight, you have the qualifications for deacons. Qualifications are next week, so if you're Hearing some of these, you will say, I understand what that means. What does it mean to not be addicted to much wine? Can I drink wine or not? We'll get into that next week. But it says, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine. He's not saying you can't be a part of the church. Now, every Christian should have this kind of positive character assessment. Let me be clear. Let me be very clear with that. But he says, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons. Then let them serve as deacons after they've been tested, after they've proven they have these qualifications and they've met them. Their wives or the original translation says women, which is the way that I would translate it. Women or their wives, because it could be either. Women or their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own household well, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Jesus Christ. So this text stands out against the other text. You know, Acts chapter 6 might be a little vague. Might be, yeah, could it be... Or could it not be? But you've got some thorough qualifications here. You've got a, a singling out of two offices, elder and deacons. So I would argue that this is the strongest evidence for a biblical foundation for the office of deacon. Now, I believe that I'm not sitting in a room where somebody rejects the office of deacon in the New Testament. So I'm going to move forward and not keep belaboring the point. But I do want to share one more text with you, and that's, um, that's Romans 16.1. I do find it interesting, and we'll touch this next week, that it speaks of Phoebe as a deaconess. But I'm not making the argument right now for a woman deacon, but I'm wanting to point out the fact that Phoebe seems to be singled out. It, it, it doesn't seem as though she's been one who is sent just as anybody in the church that just, hey, I'll do it. We need this taken care of. Oh, I'll do it. It seems like Phoebe is set apart, which deacons or elders are set apart. To hold office is to be set apart. And to be that, you have to meet those qualifications. So there are two offices in the, in, in, in the New Testament in the way that Christ set up His local church, elder and deacon. There's strong distinctions between the two. Very briefly, let me just walk through some of the distinctions between an elder and a deacon. The main task of the elder is theological oversight. The main task of the deacon is practical ministry. The primary qualification distinction between elders and deacons is that an elder has to be able to teach. A deacon does not have to be able to teach. A deacon can teach. But a deacon doesn't have to be able to teach. So that's the primary distinction. Everything's a character assessment. And then it gets to this. Elders must be able to teach. Deacons don't have to. Why? Because they, they're not charged with the responsibility of theological oversight. Now, they have to hold tightly to the mystery of the faith. 
They have to be sound in judgment, sound in doctrine like the elders, absolutely. Which to me means that deacons do a little bit more than take out the trash. Deacons do a little bit more than clean the toilet, you know. So uh, if you want to serve as a deacon at my house and come and clean my toilets, you can do that. That would be fantastic. Uh, my wife's just getting tired of doing it. So the primary qualification, primary distinction between elders and deacons is that deacons do not have the ability to teach uh, and the elders do, or deacons don't have to have it. They might be able to, but they don't have to have that. 1 Timothy 1.4, Paul tells Timothy, fight against false doctrine. Do you know who Timothy was the pastor of? The church in Ephesus, the church that Paul planted. And he comes and he says, listen, you as the pastor with theological oversight, you have to defend the doors. You have to hold the line. When you hear that false doctrine is creeping up, you have to address the issue. I won't say any names. This person's no longer with us, and I love this person to death, and I think he's as good as he can be, and I think he loves Jesus, and Jesus loves him, and we'll spend eternity together. But I was in a DNA group just a few years ago with a, with, with a gentleman who said a few things that were nothing short of heresy. And so I'm like, okay, <laughs> What do I do this? And then this weight comes crashing down on me because I have a responsibility. Now, others, as brothers in Christ, absolutely have the floor to say, no, no, as a brother in Christ, I need to confront you on that. But there's a strong expectation on me to defend the doors of the church, say, no, no, that's, that's not right. And I have to correct that. I have to correct those things, and that's the responsibility that I have, not the responsibility that the deacon has, although the deacon can say that and can speak truth and can correct and should be able to do so. But the primary responsibility of that falls onto the deacon. Deacons are not a ruling authority. I was in a church context where the deacons were a ruling authority, and it went from bad to worse over the years. It was just flipped on its head. And it didn't rightly represent headship as Christ designed it. You know what I'm saying? So it was a bad situation. So deacons aren't a ruling authority. Deacons are not authoritative. But however, they do lead. And they might have some oversight that's given to them from the elders. I might say to a person, hey, I want you to run this. I want you to take care of this. And I might tell others, hey, he's going to be your point person. I'm letting him make decisions on that. So in that sense, yes, but they're under the authority of the elders. And I think that's the biblical design for those things. So what does deacon mean? I've already told you it means servant. It means to serve in the verb, and it means a servant or one who serves in the noun form. It connotes service. And there's two ways that the words are used, office holding and non-office holding. Let me give you an example. Here's how the word deacon is used in a non-office context. John 2, 9, when the master of the feast tasted and the, uh, tasted the water, now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants, diakonos, though the servants, the, ver- the noun form, who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. So there you have the noun form of deacon being used, which it's always the noun form when we're talking in a context as it's saying those who hold office, deacons do some deaconing, right? Luke twenty-two twenty-five through 27, and he said to them, the king of the Gentiles exercised lordship over them and those in authority over them all called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. As the leader who won... Who, uh, one who, uh, diakoneo, one who serves. Romans 13, 4, for he is God's servant for your good. This is not an office holding deacon. This is just someone that serves. The church is filled. Every one of you who performs any kind of service, 
You do the work of a deacon. You are, in a sense, a deacon. So, But it's important that we draw a line of distinction between deacons who hold office and deacons who do not. And again, the qualifications, I think, draw that line and the evidence for the distinction. Office-holding deacons, 1 Timothy 3, Philippians 1, maybe Romans 16, 1 with Phoebe, maybe Acts chapter 6, 1 through 8 or whatever it was. So there's a distinction between the two. There's a distinction between those who serve outside of the office and there's a distinction between those who serve within the office. Let me explain how... Uh, I've told you how different churches might utilize deacons. In office deacons, churches will say, okay, I'm looking at the text and I see where these deacons took care of widows. Acts chapter 6, let's go with that. These deacons, they, uh, you know, as Acts serves for the template, that's fine. They, they took care of these things. You know, there was a need in the Hellenistic Jews. Here, there might be a need for some mercy ministry. There might be a need, you know, uh, like for... for you know, uh, for, for people that we might help out around here, someone might call, like Charlie might call me, hey, can you help this person? Can you do this like we've done before? Absolutely. And people might rise to the occasion. They're doing the work of a deacon in that sense, yes, as non-office holders. But they might do the same thing as an office holder. What I'm not saying is that deacons don't take out the trash. What I'm not saying is that deacons do not clean toilets or that deacons do not maintain the building or that deacons do not help manage the finances. Those things are all in the text, maybe not cleaning out toilets and taking out trash, but the idea is those who are as table waiters or table waitresses, doing a practical work, a a practical ministry. But here's what I want to argue, and this is what I told you might be a, a little bit of a shift in the way that you might typically think. The difficulty, again... The difficulty when we're trying to assign roles to a deacon. Again, when you hear these names or if, or, if we've, or if we talk to you and you say, well, what's going to be my role? I'm not going to be able to go to the text and say, well, those who are office holders, here's a list of the things that you do. You know, I went to several websites, like one of my websites that I like to go to is Mark Dever's Nine Marks website, and they have this long list of how the deacons performed in the Scriptures, and every one of them was straight from the Scripture, but not one was in the context of an office holding deacon. Now, I think it's absolutely fine to take that information and say, we're going to take that and apply that to the, to, to the office of deacon. That's not wrong at all. Yeah, they're going to, that's a need that needs to be met. If others in the congregation who aren't office-holding deacons want to do that, praise the Lord. Deacons don't exist so that you can sit on your rear end. Deacons exist for a completely different reason. Right? So it doesn't prohibit you from serving, but your service and the way you do it doesn't prohibit a deacon from doing the same thing as though they're loftier or better or that they're beneath those kinds of things. But the difficulty is trying to find the text that explains to us what the role of an office-holding deacon is. And here's where we get to it. Back to Acts chapter 6. You'll notice this, and this is really what I want you to walk away with. This is, this is, the, this is the foundation of everything that we're, that we're going from. In Acts chapter 6, a need arose amongst the Hellenistic Jews, right? The Greek-speaking Jews. There were mercy ministries going on. The apostles preaching and teaching the Word of God. What we've borrowed from that in the local churches, the pastors who are not apostles, I, I, don't, I don't believe, the if apostles are those who walked with Jesus. Anyway, as pastors... Our responsibility, taking, taking, taking cues from the New Testament, probably taking cues at its foundation from Acts chapter 6, as pastors, we have to be about the business of theological oversight. And when I say a theological, I mean that as a broad spectrum. That includes ecclesiology, Christology, all things of Christ, all things of church, all doctrine, all these things. We have to be about that business because the 
primary thing we need to do, we have to equip the saints, but we have to guard the church. We have to do our best. And a part of doing that is it equipping the saints with sound doctrine, especially in this first century because this was all new stuff. Christ's teachings was, was, was fresh off the pass, right? The plate had just come out. It was still hot. You know, and they're teaching these things. Saying, and these people in these churches came from paganistic cultures. So they're having to really teach them, hey, this is why this really matters. The emphasis on sound doctrine hasn't changed, but you were probably not brought from the same kind of paganistic background that they were brought from. Lostness, sure. But maybe more had to be undone or a worldview had to be torn up and then rebuilt for them. So... So the way, that I would, the way that I want to present this is in Acts chapter 6, the apostles said, this is our work, this is important. You need to do the table waiting thing. You need to do the practical ministries. You need to take over the mercy ministries so that we can focus on these things. Here's the emphasis. The emphasis on the role of a deacon is not so much the mercy ministry. The mercy ministry is the byproduct of the primary role of a deacon, and that is to set the pastors up for success. The deacon exists so that the pastor, so that the elders can give themselves to the Word of God and to prayer. Whatever that means. Whatever that means. If that means, you know what? The last time we did some block parties, I administrated that. I did that. That's, that's a lot of time. That's a lot of phone calls. That's a lot of administration. That's a lot of promoting I may call up a deacon, and anybody can do it, but I may go to a deacon and say, listen, I need you to run point on this. You can solicit the help of anybody that you want, because I'm sure everybody's willing to help, but I need you to take care of that. I want you to take care of those things. And you might say, well, okay, that's cool. That frees you up. You know, that frees you up. That's fine. But he's still doing some administrative work. I think the qualifications, again, I'll explain more of, of why I would argue this next week, or I'll actually argue it. But I think Here's where the qualifications come in because a deacon is even more than just someone that goes and administrates. I don't have time to take out the trash, so let me call this deacon and say, can you go to the church and take care of that? Jamie came and he hung the, he hung the, he, he, he hung the number back, the number that was kind of flapping in the breeze there for months and months and months. Jamie came. Nobody asked him to do it. Jamie came and, and did that. But that would have easily been something. I'm like, man, I'm kind of, I'm trying to finish up this sermon, man. Can you go do that for Sunday because it just looks bad? You know, uh, I can do that. That's fine. I can, I can call anybody to do that. I get that. But, but here's, here's where the, the, the distinction is really made and why the qualifications are there. Because the deacon serves as almost like an assistant to the pastor. He's an extension of the pastor's reach. That's why we need to be able to lean on someone that's not a baby in the faith, but someone that's sound in doctrine. Because because they are responsible for helping to implement the vision of the church. So you can understand that someone who just comes to Christ and they're just learning, we're trying to reshape their worldview like first century Christianity, where you got churches filled with ex-pagans not too, in the not-too-distant past. And so do you, do you draw from that kind of pool and say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull you close and say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean on you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to press into your life, and I'm going to bounce these ideas off of you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust in you, to help be the hands and feet of this thing. You wouldn't do that with a brand new Christian. Sure you would if all, if all the office of deacon was was just to take out trash, absolutely. But we can't say that because there's qualifications. Why do you have to be sound in faith and hold to the mysteries of the faith to take out the garbage? You know, to plug a hole in the ceiling because there's, there's water leaking. Why do, you, you know, why, why, why do you have to manage your household well? I'm not saying those things 
uh, aren't what Christians should be about. But why would that be a qualification for vacuuming? To me, that's, that's, that's the answer is that's, that's because deacons are not just that, is they play a much closer critical role to the pastors. You know, and I've seen that. I've read about that. I haven't served in context like that. There was one church, Quorum Deo Church, that I was reading about how they install their deacons and what roles their deacons serve. Their deacons help do the research for the sermons for the pastors. I thought, that's awesome. That's awesome. I would love to get some deacons to just write my sermons and I could just preach them. That might not be a great idea. You know, I'd give credit, right? I'd give credit. But if it's better than me, why not? So that's the role of deacon. And this is what Austin and I have been talking to as we're pouring over the Scriptures and looking at that. But I want you to understand that's, that's how we've come to this conclusion is looking at Acts chapter 6. You know, my immediate attention goes to, oh, they, they waited tables. That's what the word deacon means. Those who would wait tables, that's what it connotes. Oh, that's, that's what a deacon is. And Austin's asking me questions like, well, what role do they serve? Well, whatever. Toilets. Finances. You know, they can cut my hair. If, whatever. I don't care. I don't care what they do. We just, we just got to plug them in. But then we began to see there's something else because what we were missing is they're only doing that as a byproduct of their primary role, and that is to protect the office of elder. Like, they're like shock absorbers, Nanmark says, or like bodyguards in a sense. Imagine this. Ima- imagine this. Imagine that our time is very limited. Austin's especially working full time. And a pastor's pulled in all kinds of crazy directions. And pastors experience burnout all the time. A few years ago, the statistic was 1,400 pastors leave the ministry because of burnout every month. Every month. And a lot of that is because deacons are taking out trash. A lot of that is because regular members are freeloading and just taking and taking and taking. And a lot of that is maybe because their deacons aren't saying, you know what, we're going to exist to protect you and to protect your interest and protect the flock by protecting you. It's all the vested interest that, that connects in one large biblical vision. And so to know that we would have deacons, that when we are pulled in every direction, when somebody you know, when, when somebody's in the hospital or, or these kind of pastoral care needs. I'm not talking about a, a theological debate. You have to have a conversation with someone on that. It might be that. But when we're just, we just can't, and then there's a legitimate need to go see somebody who's struggling, who's hurting, and they just need somebody to go and pray with them and say, I'm with you. I laugh with you. I'll weep with you. I'll be with you. To say, you know what? We don't know if someone in the church has already volunteered to do that. It would be great. I think by and large, that's a part of the DNA of Havenridge, and that is fantastic. But to say, we've got people that are set apart for that. So that if someone in the body hasn't heard of that, or they haven't been able to do that just because of the rigors of life, we know that we have a deacon who's been approved by the body and understands their role, that we can say, help us and go and love these people the way that they need to be loved. It's not because the pastor doesn't want to do it, but if we answer every call that pulls us away from the Word of God and of prayer, it changes everything. So that's why the office of deacon, I believe, is not only in the New Testament, but is a necessity. It protects us from burnout. It protects us so that we have time and that we can administer doctrinal, theological oversight. And it it protects the church. Next week, we'll look at the qualifications and we'll kind of get into the nitty-gritty of those things. So more teaching on the way, but this is important. Because when I'm finished next week, we have this big meeting. We're going to present names to you. 
And I want you to take this information, Acts chapter 6. If you want my notes, you can have them. Acts 6, 1 Timothy 3. You want to go and investigate those texts. You need to consider the people that we're going to present to you so that we can collectively make a decision that's going to be best for the future of Haven Ridge. Let's pray together and we'll be dismissed. Father, you're so good to us and I pray that although today was different and it wasn't really a text to, to, to make exhortation and application, but Lord, more informative, it's, it's in your word and you, you sent letters to, to Timothy and to Titus and to others, Lord, in these pastorals as to inform them, as to instruct them. Lord, you, you dealt with the, you inspired men to deal with the nuts and bolts so that your church could be set up properly. And that's our aim here is to, is, to, is to continue to set Haven Ridge up for success by having these offices and, and having them function properly. Lord, I pray that you would uh, just cause me to, to have clarity in, in what I'm hearing and what I'm, I'm reading and understanding. And Lord, if, I, if I'm off, if I'm kind of marking, marching to the beat of my own drum, I pray that you would show me that, make me sensitive to that because that's not my aim. Lord, I don't want to be different just to be different. But Lord, I, I want to be—I want to be biblical as I can be, and uh, so Lord, I ask that you would just govern me and keep me accurate, keep me faithful to the text, and help others to see faithfulness to the text, and help others to to receive it as truth as I receive it as truth, and uh, something that's just clear—it's just there. And uh, Father, I pray that you would um, prepare the hearts of those that we either have or are going to have a conversation with about the office of deacon. Lord, will you prepare the hearts of the rest of the body that may one day be a deacon or not, or an elder or not, Lord, as, as they will spend time praying and processing the information, Lord, and pairing that together with the deacon candidates to make sure that they meet those qualifications, to make sure that they're up to the task to the best of their knowledge, to reflect on, to reflect on a, a long season of church so that they can see that these people have been tested Lord, that they've been tested and, Lord, hopefully approved. And, Lord, we ask that we would do well to make much of you as we leave this place today. In Christ's name, amen.